destino para ti lo que viniera de ti. Welcome to the Inside the Journey podcast for August 10th, 2014. I'm Nelson DeWitt. And I'm John Younger. And we are the creative team behind the upcoming documentary film, Identifying Nelson Buscando a Roberto. Inside the Journey is a weekly podcast that John and I do together. We discuss issues relating to the film and interview people who help us better understand what happened in El Salvador. This week, our guest is Catherine Ferguson, who spent the past 10 years providing humanitarian aid to immigrants trying to cross the U.S. border near Tucson. This is the first episode in a month-long series that we are doing that will explore the current border situation. Hope you enjoy. All right, our guest today is Catherine Ferguson, who is from Tucson, Arizona, and works with the Tucson Samaritans Group. Welcome, and thank you for being here. Thank you. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. So I think to get started, it would be helpful for our audience if you could tell us a little bit about uh, what the Tucson Samaritans, uh, what that group is all about and the work that you do with them. I've been working with the Tucson Samaritans for 10 years. Um, they started, I guess, 2002, and I've been working on the desert. I go every, um, we go as a group, somebody goes out every day of the year to the desert between Tucson and the United States-Mexico border. We travel the back roads and we hike trails looking for people that are in need of help. We're trying to save lives in the southern, southwestern part of Arizona here. People have to walk four days from Mexico to get as far as Tucson. And in that four days, you cannot carry enough water to live. So you won't make it. So one of the things that we do as a group is we have areas where we put water drops on trails, but it's like looking for a needle in a haystack that's always moving. We never know for sure where people are walking. I mean, there are 2,000 miles of trails. So what we do, we have a Tuesday night meeting, and everybody that's been on the trails all week, we just report where we've seen people. We have our water bottles marked with waypoints from the trails, and we know if a water bottle comes from, like, say, a, um, a waypoint B, and it gets to waypoint R, then we know that's the trail that they've taken. And that's the only way we know where people are walking. We would look for footprints, we look for anything that they leave behind, but it's really hard. And, and uh, oh, it's really depressing. I mean, we're searching for people, and sometimes in the area we look for, we find, we hear that there have been human remains recovered. So, and sometimes we find bodies out there. And and I believe the number on your website is 182 people. Is that a, about right? That was from, that was last, from year. last year. This year, my guess is at the moment it's about up to 80, but it may be more. Hmm. By the end of the fiscal year, it'll be up there. We There are usually 150 to 240 deaths per year. I mean, is is that not unbelievable? That's unbelievable. Mm -hmm. It, the local saying is that it's it's the same amount that would be on a small airplane. If a small airplane crashed anywhere in the United States every single year and that many people died, something mm. would be done about it, and nothing's being done about it. And this is something you've you've done a couple of books and documentary, or you're in the process of writing a second book, and you've done two documentaries about. And uh, we we'd love to have you share 
some of the stories of, of uh, the people that you've come across and what also the experiences that they're going through. Okay. Yes, I had a I co-authored a book called Crossing with the Virgin: Stories from the Migrant Trail. And in that book, the other authors and I interviewed people or we just told the stories of the people that we encountered out on the trails, actually on the trails. And what we see mostly is people a few years ago, I've been doing this 10 years. So a few years ago, people were coming for jobs. Let's say eight or eight years ago, people were traveling across the border to work in the United States. But then lately, it's been people are trying to get back to their families. There are so many deportations throughout the United States. It's not just in um, the southern border here. There's so many deportations, and people are desperate to get back. Now, imagine if you're deported, that's a forever thing. Um, people are, will not be allowed to re-enter the U.S. So they're split and ripped apart from their families. So it, it's a heartbreaking moment every time we encounter someone in the desert who's coming to try to get back with the family. One man I met, we were out with four people with Samaritans. We had been hiking for about four hours. We were walking back to the car. This is in a very, very remote area, about eight miles from the U.S.-Mexico border. On our way back, a man stepped onto the trail in front of us. And generally, we call out. Um, we say, hello, we're from Samaritans. We're bringing food and water. Can we help you? So even though we're calling out and we know we're looking for people, when somebody steps on the trail in front of you abruptly, it's shocking. And then to see the man, he looked like something out of the American Civil War. His pant legs were ripped up to the knees. He had tied sort of a tourniquet-looking thing around his thigh. He had taken his shirt and tied, ripped it up and tied a headband around his head, and he was limping on a stick. So long story short, he had been in Tacoma 20 years with his family, and he had the same job for 20 years on his way to work one morning. Patrol took him and they deported him into Tijuana. So for eight days, his family never heard from him. Nobody knew where he was. And then he made his way from Tijuana over to the area near Nogales, Arizona, um, uh, in, the, in Mexico. And then he started to cross. And he was just in very bad condition. And he, when we met him, we, we took care of him. We gave him food and water and just did the best first responder Thing that we could do and then we asked him if he wanted us to call medical because if we call medical on the desert they call the border patrol and he said he would rather die than ever go with the border patrol mm -hmm. so he would not let us call for any kind of help so we were um, going to walk out with him it was eight miles to a highway where he was going to take a chance on getting a ride into the United States to, I mean further north in Arizona, is it is it mostly Mexican citizens that are coming across, or is it also Central America as well? Well, it, until about two years ago, it was mostly Mexican. And in the last two or three years, it's been Central Americans, just so many Central Americans, and many indigenous people from Central America who don't even speak Spanish. So um, it, it's been quite a like a, a change here for us. And how much desert are they coming across? In well, near from Tucson. Tucson, yes, from Tucson, 
to Nogales, which is the most direct route, it's 60 miles. In order for somebody to walk that 60 miles, which they pretty much have to do, there's so much border patrol enforcement. I mean, oh my goodness, it's a real um, military complex down there. There, there, there are um, border patrol agents. There are many weapons. There are drones. There are ATVs, horses. Many people are out looking for the migrants. So it used to be they only had to walk about a day until they could get a ride and find their way north into the United States. Now they have to walk a minimum of four days because there's so much enforcement at the border. The enforcement pushes them into the most dangerous areas of all. So even though there are fewer people crossing, there are more deaths. I was wondering how you first became involved with helping people at the border. And also, I'm sure that you know in Tucson this is controversial and there's people far on the other side of you from this issue. And I, I'm I'm just wondering, is it is it ever dangerous, or do you ever run into people that are trying to do the opposite? And yeah, yes, we we do. I I started getting involved with this because for many years I made documentary films in the Sierra Madre in Mexico, mm -hmm. and as I was going south, I noticed people were coming north, and our paths converged, and so. When they told me that they were going to be crossing to come for work, I said, no, 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 don't cross. So after I, I made films down there and then I ended up just staying in the U.S. more, um, I was very, very concerned that my good friends were going to die out there and I felt personally responsible for it. As far as being out there for 10 years working out there, um, there are, you know, there are bad people out there on both sides of the law, there are bad people that are Border Patrol agents, very violent people. There are also bad people who would be, you know, cartel people that would be right near the border. But mm -hmm. I have to say, in the 10 years that I've been walking trails, I have not encountered um, a dangerous situation. What we do encounter is we encounter, oh, what do you call them, the militia men or the Minutemen, and the ones that you see in the daytime sitting along the roads with their guns and you know, <clears throat> telescopes or whatever they have, they're, they're kind of ridiculous. But the ones that you see in the dark or the ones that you see further back off the trails, those guys are quite, um, they're, they're quite a problem. They have guns. I mean, they have, you know, semi-automatic weapons. And mm -hmm. they are sometimes befriended by the Border Patrols. We see them chatting with the Border Patrol agents. And it is an issue. And yes, in Tucson and in the United States, it's extremely controversial, and to, nothing that we do as an organization, Tucson Samaritans, nothing is illegal that we do. It's transparent, and so we are—we kind of have to dig our foot and get keep our toehold out there in the desert because the um, Border Patrol and CBP and all these government agencies would like for us to not be there, but we have. Oh, we meet with the chief of the sector, border patrol sector, two or three times a year, just to just to maintain our presence as a humanitarian group out there. So yes, um, it can be a dangerous world out there. And no, in ten years, I personally have not encountered um, any danger from the people who are crossing, not from the migrants who are crossing. Mm -hmm. You mentioned uh, several times now the sort of um, importance of family 
especially for uh, Mexican people and some of the friends that you made down there. And, and one thing we wanted to talk about today was just what drives people to, to make this journey. I mean, it does, you know, the odds are against them. And even your story about this man who would, you know, rather die in the desert than risk being picked up by border patrol. You know, I think that says a lot about the uh, people's will to, to find uh, loved ones. And I'm wondering if you had any thoughts about uh, what compels people to, to make that journey. Well, yes, without sounding ridiculous, the only thing that is worth anything in the world is to be loved, right? So to be loved by your family, to give love to your family. And that's what the United States is based on. We're based on um, family, good worth ethics, and some people would say religion. So the two political parties, the Democrats and the Republicans, that's what they express is the most fundamental, um, you know, the most fundamental part about being an American. And yet, <laughs> yeah, what we're doing as a as a government, as a country, is ripping people apart, ripping families apart, and keeping people separated. Um, so what we value the most is what we're tearing apart, and that's um, that is something we run up against out there all the time. People want. They simply want to get back to their families. I grew up in Tucson. I'm from this area. When I was young, people would come work in my dad's yard. They'd build a wall. They were really great. We'd have lunch together. They'd tell me about their kids over there. And then they would go home in the afternoon back over into Nogales. They'd come back in a month or so, would do some more work, and then they'd go home. It was easy, natural. They would drive in, right? They would drive across the border to work, drive back to Sonora, Mexico. Now, one of the problems is people cannot come and go, so they can't be with their families. And they come here, and once you're here, you're stuck. It's like we've put a wall around the United States, and neither can you enter, nor can you leave. And that's one of the major problems now. People cannot go back to their families in Mexico. They get deported from here. They can't return to their families here. I'm wondering how things, you just mentioned how things have changed over your lifespan in the Tucson area, and also you've mentioned how there's much more Central American migration. I'm just wondering how, as border patrol has increased, and, and even in the past couple of years, just how, how different it is what, what you're seeing on the trails. Earlier when I started doing this, you know, about 10 years ago, 9 or 10 years ago, there was a huge amount of people crossing. There were probably 3,000 people a day crossing in the Tucson sector, which goes from... Um, the Nogales area, essentially over to Yuma. And that was a phenomenal amount of people. And that shifted, you know, that, that lessened. But for, for many reasons, economic reasons, reasons in Central America. And do you, do you think those were people that, like when you were growing up, that were going back and forth? Or do you think those were people that would end up in Tennessee or New Hampshire or all across the U.S.? The, well, those are people who are going back and forth, even though they do end up in Kentucky or Colorado. I have friends that from Mexico, from the Sierra Madre, they worked in Florida, they worked in Colorado. And at that time, or when I was younger, you know, they came – they didn't just end up only in Tucson. They they went mm -hmm. to where there was work. It's only they they tell me my my good friends from Mexico say you know we want to be respectful of your country. We like it. We appreciate the jobs there. We make more money there, but we really prefer to live in Mexico. So they their idea would be to come to the United States to work and then go home. So it'd be that, seasonal, really. 
Yeah, seasonal, absolutely. Okay. Um, and they're, you know, great workers, and they they want to do a job. They have a lot of pride in the work they do. They want to come here, do a good job, earn good money, and go back. You know, one of the issues is why can't Mexico su- support its own people? Why can't Central America support its own people? That's a whole other conversation, but but that is part of the conversation. Mm-hmm. Yes. And now is it is it less seasonal and and now people come. It's not for seasonal work. They really come to be reunited, reunited with families. Mm-hmm. And this will change too. I mean, I've I've been on the border my whole life. It's all cyclical, right now. And right now, also the cartels have a lot of power in um, bringing people across the border. That was not the case um, four years ago, and it won't be the case four years from now. It's mm-hmm. all cyclical. How people come and go. But the thing that works best for the United States and for all these people we're talking about is for people to be allowed to move about so that they can work. We want how many of your Anglo friends pick cotton or pick tomatoes um, out in the fields every day? I, you know, not very many. I don't know one who does. Most of those jobs are for people from south of the border. That's mm-hmm. the way it's set up in the United States. They, we we don't pay them well, and then we want them to do hard work, and they agree to all of that. So it's a you know it's an economic push and pull, but what we're seeing now is a little bit different in that it's um, relationship, you know it's economic, I mean definitely economic, and then in Central America there's a whole conversation about the United States role in the 1980s and how we supported all the, um, you know the the people who committed all the murders and a lot of the violence, we were the United States was very involved in that. So that's a part of it too. But mm-hmm. this whole idea about borders being people being able to come and go through the borders is, <laughs> makes much more sense than to put a moat around the United States locking people in and locking people out. It doesn't work. It, it's old fashioned and obviously it's not working. Mm-hmm. And I have the if may I talk a little bit about this this book I'm writing that's going to come up? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, I'm writing a book. It's called it's going to be published by the University of New Mexico. It should be out in the late spring. It's called Phantom: The Haunting of the Mexican Border. And in a sense, it's about phantoms at the border and the haunting of our national conscience which will never be permitted to rest because of all this conflict that goes on. I think a lot of people in the United States are really good people, and I don't think they like the idea of killing all the people that come across the border. I don't think they like the idea of finding all these bodies of very nice, kind people that are walking the, crossing the border, and we find their bodies out there. And the book is about, it starts out in the Sierra Madre when I'm making films, I'm making documentaries there for 15 years. Mm-hmm. And the first part of the book is called Sierra Madre Trails Hunting. The second part of the book is called Arizona Trails Hunted. And so it's, it starts out about families. It's the people I meet. I um, get to know people very, very well in the Sierra Madre in Chihuahua, Mexico. Everything that they're about is hard work and keeping their families together. When I come back, I go back and forth actually for 15 years to film and to edit. When I come back, I spend most of my time in the United States in Tucson editing, trying to get money for the films. And that's when I hear about the Tucson Samaritans. And so I joined with a group 
really out of fear that my friends were going to get might die on the desert. Mm-hmm. So it so it's really about families, love, and death. And maybe in a nutshell, that's what the border is about. Isn't that terrible? <laughs> <laughs> is it? Is it a lot of families that uh, just one question that comes to mind hearing you talk about it? it Tucson, the Tucson sector sounds like a horrible place to have to cross. Is it's it most, terrible. It's very deadly. Yeah, sorry. Is it mostly single men that are coming across there, or are you actually encountering whole families, or or children? Are, are any of these children that you're that we're hearing about in the news lately coming through that sector, or is? Ed, no, the, all these kids that are coming through right now, they're coming through Texas. Okay. Um, they're being sent. They're being sent over here on Greyhound buses, and they're being dumped in the Greyhound bus um, station. I mean, wow. literally dumped mothers and kids by the hundreds. And so we have really great people in Tucson who are spending days and nights at the um, Greyhound bus station, taking care of these people. They're they're just they're they're taken from the border. They're processed. Um, minimally or in a major way, depending on <laughs> who's doing what at the border in, in Texas. But then some of them are just sent with papers, um, and they don't know what to do or where to go. And so it's a matter of finding family members who have money that can send tickets for these people to go join them in other parts of the United States. And then they're there, and then they're told that they have to report to an office in three months. And then they report, and the office says, "Thank you. Come back in three months." So it's a it's a big mess all over the United States. The people we see are the ones that are released at the gray station. But in the past, and my, my understanding the, is a lot desert, of the Central American people are all the people from El Salvador, Honduras, Guatemala. If they get across, then they are they're processed, right? They're not immediately deported. So it's it's kind of interesting. A lot of what you're encountered, encountering in Tucson or along the border is literally people at bus stations that have already been processed. That, that That's must, what we're encountering. Is that a big difference than, than before? Yes, that is new for us. We have mm-hmm. not had people, hundreds and hundreds of women and children uh, dumped, literally dumped at the Greyhound bus station. That's new for us. Wow. On the desert, yeah, I, I, I mean, it's phenomenal. And, and these are people that have made this incredible journey. Um, it's, I mean, it's amazing they're still alive just getting here from Honduras or Guatemala or something. They, I mean, to get through Mexico, which is very rough, and then to get into the United States, it's, it's, that's a journey that nobody would make who is a comfortable person who has a comfortable life. Nobody would make that journey unless it's out of extreme necessity. Nobody's coming here for a second swimming pool. Mm-hmm. You know the, that that journey. If if for all the politicians who oh, have all this terrible rhetoric about you know people just throwing themselves at the border here, if they had to make that journey, they wouldn't make it. I don't think most you know soft living Americans would be able to make that journey. So what we see on the desert though is different. Um, we see all ages and shapes and sizes of people. We see 60-year-old men. We see, oh, last year a 70-year-old man from Honduras. Um, We see kids, but the kids that we see are not very many, and they're with their mother or father or uncle or somebody. Mm -hmm. So so the big, this all this big current 
situation about the kids being brought to the U.S. border. It's happening just in one location. Are you finding it's mostly women and children that are ending up at the bus stations? Yes. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I all I know from what's going on in Texas is just what I see in the news and social media and everything, that um, there are lots of photographs of kids. They, they turn themselves in. Nobody's coming here and fighting when they get to the border. They're, they're going across the water, the Rio Grande there, they're coming across the water from Mexico. As soon as they touch land, they just you know, stand there and wait for the Border Patrol to come. So, you know, so there's organization behind this about kids. And I, I have a personal guess what it is, but it's not, you know, nothing substantial. Mm -hmm. you, you talked a little bit about sort of the U.S. role in all of this. And I think you made an interesting point about, you know, the one thing that we sort of claim to stand for, we also destroy. And I think that that's something John and I have talked about in in the film, or at least in these uh, sort of offline conversations. And that is that the, um, the U.S. sort of has this policy or this way of, of uh, using forced disappearances uh, against uh, people that, you know, I guess are not in favor with the U.S., and, you know, you could argue that the, the man who was taken from his family in Seattle and they never heard from him in eight days was sort of forcibly disappeared. People are forcibly disappeared in the United States every day of the week. Yes. All right. We know this from people that we talk to, that we deal with, that we see on the desert. You know, we, yeah. we, we follow up on these things. Also, we find people on the desert that are in bad physical condition. We end up calling um, a helicopter or something from the desert. We find out what hospital we're going to, they're going to. We call them the next day at the hospital. No one's ever heard of them. They, they disappear. How do, you, how do you share these stories with other people, uh, especially through, you know, you're working on a book and you've done several films. What do you think is important or key to taking this story because as you pointed out most people in the u.s have no idea what this journey is like and will never ever have to deal with something like walking for four days without water or enough water so how do you relate right. these these very challenging difficult stories back to an audience or people who just can't relate for the most part well, I talk my head off, and I tell these stories as much as I can, and I I think the only way to get to other people is to tell a personal story. Um, rather than giving a lot of facts and figures, I think the, the key to getting to people's hearts, which is what's necessary, is to say, is to ask them, um, I like to explain that people die in the desert and, and some people will actually say that's their own problem. And then I would say, which one of your children would you give up to the desert? Which one of your children would you let die in the desert so that you could save your other children? And I try hard to get just the idea of showing, <laughs> I mean, it's so trite, but just to show that the people who cross the border are people. And for the most part, they're like this superhuman race of people coming across. They're courageous. Everybody I meet in the desert is kind. It's like you're in a war. 
so there's nothing extraneous. When you meet somebody out there, you start moving fast. You try to take, number one is to take care of their health. And um, as you do that, people start telling you stories. I've never seen so many adult men cry and sob. It's heartbreaking. And the only way I can think to, you know, make any kind of difference here in the United States where we have very, very comfortable lives is to talk about these stories. Recently, I went to a, a book club. They invited me to come in Tucson. It was a book club of Arab women. And I thought, oh, God, this isn't going to work at all. How am I going to talk about my book to a group of uh, wealthy Arab women, as a matter of fact, who are all married to doctors? I, it was one of the most beautiful evenings I've had in years. They ended up telling me all of their border crossing stories. And so I went to a you know a wealthy home with wealthy comfortable women and ended up we were all <laughs> crying together and laughing together and i th i think that's the only way to talk is is um about the personal issues i think that's that's a good place to to wrap up thank you very much for sharing with us today yeah thank you i hope that this is of some use to you guys Definitely. Oh, absolutely. I, I, I think uh, that, you know, as you point out, the personal story is very powerful. And w one of the reasons why we're interviewing so many different people is because we want to hear their personal stories and why okay. these issues are important for them. So uh, just thank you for, you know, carrying the stories of, of the people trying to cross the border and, and everything that they're going through. And hopefully, you know, more people get to hear this. And I, I think it's it's also interesting. Um, I mean, like you said, the the crossings are are the reasons people cross and the populations that cross. It's cyclical and it's dynamic. But right now, I think right it's a refugee crisis, and I I would like to hear from people like yourself that that have that live along the border and that have experiences with the people that are crossing and and can share some of some of the, their stories. Yes. I, I think well, it's important, it, important to share that because this country is, you know, is about the Statue of Liberty and and and, right. and the nation of and, immigrants. And and right now, it, I think it's I think it's a a disgrace some of the way that that these people are being well, received. I if I could say a couple more things, are, are we still on, or can I say yes. something else? Sure. We are. Go for I think it. that we're running scared. As a country, we're running scared. The world has changed. Um, we're, the United States is not going to be the United States that I grew up with. It, it just isn't that way anymore. We have, um, you know, demographically, we have a very different makeup in the United States. And I think a pe people from the old guard are quite, quite terrified of this. And there's this huge resistance, huge fantasy created um, because people are not willing to realize that this is a, a new United States. I think it's a wonderful United States full of people of different colors, beliefs, and you know every kind of person is, is here and is going to stay here. And um, I am, the other thing is I'm just shocked at how many people know nothing about what's happening at the border. There's a lot of rhetoric and fantasy about it, but you know I would really invite every person to come with me to the border. It's amazing. Thanks so much. Thank you, guys.